listen guys, we're, we're in um, an interesting section that, um, that Wendy just read from just a little while ago in Genesis chapter 21. And I've got to be honest with you. When, I mean, I, I try to read through, you know, weeks, even months ahead from where I'm going to be and, and maybe not get, I don't have all the details yet, but just start to saturate myself with the Scripture. And when I, when I was thinking through this, I was really puzzled. I mean, I had some difficulties with what Abraham did, what he allowed in this. I even had some difficulties with, with Sarah. Um, but in doing, some, doing a lot more research and study, um, I, I'm seeing things at a, at a different, uh, from a different perspective. Um, and so I, I'm excited to share with you guys what I've learned from the Word and uh, what, whatever God wants to, to lead and to teach us. Uh, to connect it to last week, Last week we, uh, we looked from the Old Testament and the New Testament um, about what it means to be a mother. Um, we, uh, we centered in on the Proverbs 31 of what, of what that woman was like. And, and here's the thing, if you didn't catch this, I, I, I invite you to go back and, and listen to it or to watch it because there's two main things we talked about. We talked about what it means biblically to be a mother, but then we talked about gospel-centered mothering. You're like, well... Surely those are the same things. Well, here was my take on it. The biblical mothering, we took some different scriptures and said, this is the way you need to grow into. God wants to affirm some things in you, but He also wants to grow some things in you. However, whenever we're talking about commands and repent and do these things, it's, it's, it's weighty and, it's, and we need to respond and we need to say, yes, God, yes, sir, I, w- I want to change. But it's, there's also the weight that's there. It's like, well, but I'm screwing up. But, so what gospel-centered mothering is knowing that, at, at, that grace is the center and that when we're justified by God, when we're declared perfectly righteous um, and sta- are standing before Him, uh, that as a mother, then you're able to bend that same grace out to your children. That you know that, okay, I'm fully accepted and fully loved by God. And as a result of that, God's not looking at me based on my works. I can now look at my children and my love for them and the way that I treat them and look at them does not have to be based upon their works, but can be based upon grace. And it can change everything. And so, gospel-centered mothering will change the way you view yourself and the way you treat your children, um, but it will it'll also will give you the power and the strength to then say, now Lord, I look at these things that you say I need to grow in. I know I'm not condemned. Rather, I've got the strength and the victory that I can grow into, grow into it. And so we, we, move, we move into this next section, which kind of gives us some practical applications, both good and bad, of some mothers here. We've got Sarah and Isaac, and we've got Hagar and Ishmael. Um, and just so you know, the next two weeks... We're going we're gonna to pull away from the story and we're going to center in on Ishmael and his descendants. We're going to study Islam for two weeks. And I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm doing lots of research so that when you come these next two weeks, you, you should be able to get a bigger picture of what, you know, what is Islam? How did it come, come about? Uh, who is Muhammad? You know, what are the five pillars you know, of, of Islam? What's the difference between the Sunnis and the Sufis? You know, and, and what... what you know, what's, what's really going on and, and how do we respond today, currently? Because 
most of us in here, we have friends or neighbors that they're uh, Muslims. And, and how, how is it that we can understand them and their culture and how can we take the gospel to them in a way that does not compromise truth but is very gracious at the same time and say, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to who, who they call Isa, one of their prophets. We'll build that bridge. So don't miss, don't miss the, that the next couple of weeks as well. All right, so Genesis 21, 1 through 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he'd said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. You guys, uh, whenever God appears to a man or to a woman or to a child in Scripture, he's revealing he reveals something about himself, and he also reveals something about them. And it's usually destiny. Something that's like, you know what, this is going to happen. It's God himself being prophetic and saying, this is what's going to happen in your life. And sometimes that was a very good thing. There's like something they didn't deserve. Other times it was something horrible, horrific that was coming down the pike, and it was something they did deserve. Um, but something happens big when God shows up like this. And so here it is. Most likely it's, it's Jesus that's showing up and, uh, um, you know, th- this is in his, what we call a pre-incarnate form. So that's before he was born. Uh, maybe he looked, like, he, he looked like when he was 30 years old. Who knows? But uh, most likely Jesus. It's God, though, in, incarnate that shows up. And what he reveals to, 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 uh, to Sarah and what he's revealing to Abraham here is, he's just saying, look guys, we've been working on this for decades. I just want, to, want you to know, I am a promise keeper. I never ever go back on what I say. And so, point, point number one, if you're taking mental notes today, and this is almost the point of every story, is that God is the hero, and He can be trusted. He can be trusted, you guys. Sometimes, I fall flat, and I don't believe Him. But you know what? Even when I screw up, He still is faithful. He can still be trusted. We don't keep our promises. He does. He's the hero of the story. He's the hero. Verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah born born him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Um, there's, it's, the, the English kind of smooths things out, but in, in this first section right there of, that, of, of verse 3, it says uh, um, it, it was his son who Sarah bore to him. And it, was kind of a, it, was, it was redundant the way it was being said because it was, um, Moses wanted us to know, look, this is Abraham's son, but this is Sarah's son as well. Revealing again to everyone that a miracle has taken place here. And, and it says that Abraham circumcised him when he was eight days old as God commanded him. Uh, the, Moses is making a point to us. It's like, look guys, we've seen some horrible things that Abraham has done. And you're actually going to see a few other idiotic things that he does. But he has obeyed. That he's had some aha moments through, through his times. And then he, he, he obeys here. He circumcises his son. He names him the son. He names him Isaac, which, which means laughter. And there's at least a double entendre here. 
You know, because the laughter refers, it refers back to the cynical laughter that Sarah had back when, back when the, the, uh, the Jesus and the angels appeared and were revealing to Ab- Abraham, Abram that, that he was going to have a son and through Sarah and all that. And she's like, hee, not in my body. You know, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think this is going to happen. There's just no way. It was cynicism that was there. And, and so in a, in a small way, it's a reminder. It's like a, it's like a scar. But that, that, was not, that was not the main point of it. The main point of it was there was a joy that came from Isaac. Now, now guys, here's one of the most important things, points about this message. Is, you know what? Man, look in the mirror. You and I, we, we mess up all the time. We fail you know, in, the perfect, in, in regard and contrast to the righteousness of God. And sometimes even when we do the, the right things, we don't even do it with the right heart. And so it's sinful. Because it's prideful and it's arrogant and it's very pharisaical. You know, like a Pharisee. And what's, what's incredible is that God takes our failures and He redeems them. He takes where we were cynical and He turns it into joy. He takes where we did not trust Him and in the process of changing our heart and we begin to trust Him, He turns turns it into a monument rather than humiliation to humility. Rather than powerlessness, it's power. Rather than failure, it becomes a point of victory. That from then on, when, when, when Sarah and when Abraham, when they would look at their son Isaac, there was still, I mean, it's not that they would totally forget that there was cynicism, but what's beautiful about redemption is redemption is far bigger than the problem. It's far bigger than the failure. To where when you look at the failure, the failure's not so big that you have a self-condemnation. The failure just reminds you of how big grace is. You hear me? It's okay that we remember the scars, that the places where we failed. It's, it's okay when we understand grace, when we understand redemption. If, if you're looking at your past sins and you just are condemned and, and it just drives you further into yourself and further into sin, then, then your sin is larger in your estimation than grace is. But, but when we see Jesus for who He really is, we see that it's just, it's just actually, actually, it's like that cynicism or that point of failure is actually just a tiny little pointer finger saying, look, grace is right up above me. Grace is way bigger. So Isaac, laughter, to where now it's, it's a point of joy rather than a point of contention. And I, and I, I challenge you, I, I, many of you, as I've been talking through this part of it, you, you're there, you, you know that point in your life, that point of failure, that point in which, man, you're just like, man, I hate that people know that about me. Or you're just like, I'm just so glad people don't know that about me. And I'm just telling you, if you understand grace, all of a sudden, that you, you won't forget it, but it will just be a reminder to say, wow, God, you're so big. <laughs> Jesus, your cross was so consuming that it overshadows that failure. And that failure just reminds me that, Jesus, you're so big and you don't look at me as a failure anymore. You look at me, God, as your son, as your daughter, precious, loved, 
Did you know that you're the apple of God's eye? Did you know that? I mean, you're not the greatest thing to God. God's the greatest thing to God. God's not an idolater. He's not going to put you in front of Him. But, but the bride of God, I mean, the, the people God died, that Jesus died for, we're the, we're the ones that it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm revealing my greatest glory through you. And it should not ever be a point in which we say, we, we allow that, we allow that to uh, push us more into sin to say, wow, if I sin more, then, then it just makes God's grace look all that much bigger. No, no, no. And, 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 and uh, Paul talked about in Romans chapter 6, just start there in verse 1, and he hits that. But instead, we're able to look and just say, wow, God, you are so amazing. You don't view me, you don't, you don't, you don't call me sinner with a capital S anymore. You call me saint. And, and your vantage point is, is the best. So where, wherever that is in your life, I just want you to know, man, grace, grace is not just like this drop that just goes to apply a huge wound. Grace is like this vat, this vat of, of antibiotic cream that you just immerse into and just, I mean, it, it brings healing. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born to him. Guys, don't glaze over that one. He was a hundred. I mean, Sarah was around 90 years old. 90. I mean, and, and part of what she had said there, you know, was like people, they're just going to laugh when they think of a baby nursing, you know, with me. You know, it's like, I, I'm kind of laughing myself. But God, he's got, he's got not only a sense of humor, He's got a sense of drama that just points to him as the greatest producer, the greatest director in the story that, that he is there. And, and, and for decades, they've waited upon this child. And it's like, he's here! He's here! The dream is realized and it's manifest. Some of you guys, you're on the, you're on, you're on the, 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 for, the forefront of, of the dream and the vision. And you're just like, if I could just get there, if I could just get there, and I'm running, I'm, and it's, and man, God, I just want to get there. And man, it's wonderful to have that good tension of a calling in your life. It's okay. It's okay for you to hurt and to ache to, to get there. Make sure, though, that you enjoy the journey and you don't set the journey aside looking at the, at the destination as being the victory. The journey is supposed to be victorious too. But then there's some that some of us that are just you know, it's like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm here. You know, you're right and basking in the middle of it. And you just understand what we're talking about. But then there's some that, it's the glory days. It's like, well, let me tell you about back when I was in high school. And I, you know. And, and we're, living, we're living on past dreams. And not knowing, okay, God, God did what he did there. But he's got, he's got more dreams than you can dream. He's got more for you. He's got the best ahead of you. It may not be as glorious or dramatic or call it cause as much attention to yourself, but it's just as important for you to engage the next, the next points that God has in His mission for you. Sarah said, uh, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. She said, who would have said to Abraham, Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet, I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew, and he was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on that day that Isaac was weaned. Now check this out. This is the part that if you don't understand some things culturally, 
Um, and, or, or maybe look at some other cross-references to give you some information. You might, you might be thinking in this story with where we're headed of the re- rejection, the sending out of, uh, of uh, Ishmael and Hagar, you may be thinking, man, this little, you know, this little boy. Uh, you know. Now, first of all, even to get to this point you know, um, uh, that Ishmael was about 13, just to get to the point of, of birth here. Um, but being weaned, they, they, it's, not like, it's not like with puppies where, you know, about six weeks later you, you move them to the, to the puppy chow. Um, this is when they, they leave mama's breast and they're actually eating on their own. And it was, a, uh, it, it was a, uh, an important point that they celebrated um, in Jewish culture. Um, most, I mean, the kids, I mean, it, don't, don't just think that, okay, you got a three or four-year-old kid that's kind of walking beside and saying, Mom, I'm ready to eat, you know, uh, holding Mom's hand, pointing, you know. Um, it, it's, it's not that necessarily, but the weaning, the point in which they celebrated it. They waited till they were, they were a toddler, too, three years old. And the, the reason was infant mortality was, was huge back then. And so it was, it was kind of like the coming out party for our child. It's like, this is, when they're weaned and throw this party, it's like, all right, we're pretty sure this baby's going to make it. You know, we're pretty sure. It's like, okay, so we're, we're, counting on, we're counting on this child to take our name further. And so, but we feel like we can kind of announce it to everybody now. Because the children died, many of them died before this. Um, now, you think about that in application today is, Man, it's, uh, there's many couples that experience miscarriages. I've got several friends in the room and a part of Sojourn that you guys have walked through the difficulty of losing a child in, in the womb. Um, and it is, it is so difficult. And, and I hope for those of you who have, I hope that you have walked through a, a, a healthy grief process. And if you've not, please come and talk with me please if you're like you know i'm not sure if we really dealt with it the way we should please come and speak to me and let's pray and let's talk about that because that's a child that's your child i mean there's some that there's some that's like well you know i'm mother's day comes and goes and we still don't have a baby in our arms because we've had one or two or three miscarriages i'm like listen you're a mother you're a mother dad you i mean you're a dad you just don't get to hold this child until you Meet them in heaven with Jesus. Um, it's important to walk through this process. What happens a lot of times with miscarriages, I, mean, I heard about one this week, some friends, miscarriage, and, and how, how horrifying it is. And, and what happens is, man, we have an enemy that just turns us against, against ourselves and against one another. Grief comes, the blame game comes where all of a sudden it's kind of like, what, well, what did she do wrong? You know, the husband looking at her, you know, what did you do? What were you eating? You know? Did you, did you, ex- you, should, have, you should have been exercising more before, before we, you got pregnant. You know? Or, you know, maybe the same way. I mean, uh, looking back at the guy, I was like, well, you know, you, you had a part in this too. Maybe it's, maybe it's your genes. And just boom, boom, boom. Just the pain, the real pain that should be going through a biblical process of grief and holding and comforting one another turns into arrows. Because those emotions, they've got to go somewhere. They're not supposed to go to one another. They're supposed to go to Jesus. 
But there's feelings of failure, then it's instead of pointing the finger, it's like, what did I do wrong? What did I do? What should, what should I have done in, instead? And so there's guilt, there's shame that comes. And ultimately, then you, you, can become rege- you pr- start to reject others. You may even become jealous or envious of like, well, why, did they, why, why do they have one or two kids and have never had a miscarriage? Why do they have six kids? Or, you know, what, you know God, why, what about us? What, what, what's the matter with us, God? So rejecting God, start rejecting others. You isolate yourself to try to insulate the pain. And I'm just telling you, you can't do that. Well, you can. You can. But don't. Don't do that. And when, you, when you're pregnant, man, bring, bring people in along. I'm, I'm telling you, Jesus, He died for His bride. He didn't just die for individuals. He died for a bride. So when you're saved, you're not just saved to save to yourself, you're saved and you become a part of a big family. And calls us into community. And so walk it out with people. Let people in. Let people in. Stop the facade that everything's okay. Or at least stop the lack of information to where you know. You know that you need to let people in further and just say, you know what? I've been kind of holding back. But here's where I really am. Here's where we really are. And we need you. And we need you to walk with us. Do, let people in. Let people speak into your fears. Fears, that's before something happens. If you're fearful about something, you're anxious about something, you're worrying about something, first of all, that's sin. For, to let fear turn into to anxiety and to worry. But you need to let people know, hey, just so you know, I'm anxious, I'm worried about this thing. It hadn't even happened. But I'm worried about it. Let people in pray with you, to rebuke you and encourage you. But also with your failures or just when things happen after they happen, let people in. And, and, and friends, I mean, if you're not a Christian in here, one of my friends, you know you're not surrendered to Christ, man, you need the family of God. We're not perfect. We don't have it together. But God does. And He bends grace out to one another through us. Verse 9, but Sarah saw the the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. I'm telling you, first time I was reading over this, I was like, Sarah, Sarah, come on. What, it, what is your deal? Well, let's bring some context to this. Sarah... About 90, maybe 92, 93, 94 by then. Abraham over, he's a, already a centurion by now, you know, cent, centenarian, whatever, whatever, 100 years old. Um, he's old. She's old. Hagar is young to middle-aged, and, and dude, you got Ishmael. You got this strapping young buck of a young man that's out there. Isaac, again, he's, he was about two or three when the feast occurs. It push, puts Ishmael probably around 15 to 16 on this feast day. And we don't know if, if it, it seems like this happened on that feast day, or it could be that just at some point after it. So, but just, I mean, just imagine Ishmael is 15 years old, maybe 16. It could even be this is later on in the story. But this is a young man. And, and, and just give you a reminder of what Hagar's attitude towards Sarah has been in the past. Genesis 16, um, verse 4, it says, And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. 
Now then Sarah, and we, you can go back and, and listen to the teachings on that. Sarah really messed up. She sinned badly in the way she mistreated Hagar at this point. But Hagar, Hagar had, had some problems. I mean, this is basically the queen of all these people, the princess Sarah was. And I mean, here's this slave woman, which there's difficulties there too, too with her being a slave woman that owned by Sarah. But you, you've, got, you've got this... This uh, um, the slave woman, now a concubine, who, man, she's starting to get attitude with, with Sarah. And now 13 years, and she's kind of like, maybe there's not going to be another child. And so, Hagar was not genteel and, and innocent in all of this. A reminder of Ishmael's attitude, Genesis 16, verse 12, talked about it. He said, he shall be a wild donkey of a man. Um, there's another name for wild donkeys. Uh, his hand uh, will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Okay? This is giving us a picture of who Ishmael was. Even as a, even as a boy, even as a young man, he was wild. He was an instigator, being that he was, he was against everyone. And as a result of it, he brought everybody against him. Everybody! And he even says, uh, eventually, he either led or dominated all of his kin outside of, outside of uh, Abraham's, outside of uh, Isaac and, and his, uh, his, his uh, children and grandchildren. Um, this, is, this is a guy who's, I mean, this, this guy is a leader. This is a guy is a bully. This is the kind of guy that just doesn't just cause problems with one or two. He caused problems everywhere he went. Everyone. Everyone had problems with this guy. Some of you some of y'all were like Ishmael, weren't you? You know, you caused problems everywhere. You stirred it up, stirred it up. You know? Um, it says in here that he was laughing. It's kind of like, well, come on, Dave. I mean, <laughs> woo! What a, what a dumb looking nose! <laughs> you know, it's it's like you know what's what's so wrong with that? Well, there are different verbs in Hebrew for laughter, and there's some that that is just more innocent. This is one that's was more s- sinister. It's there's mocking. Um, he's not an innocent young man, Sarah. Fears for Isaac's life. I mean, you guys have seen, I've seen, seen, seen movies and read books about what happens when there's several children to a king, something like. That. Anybody seen Robin Hood yet? Huh? You know, I mean, just even right there. Um, uh, you know, you've got all kinds of difficulties when there's multiple heirs to a throne or someone who is who is a leader, and and when there's when there's different mothers that are involved, you know. Or whether they're legitimate, or especially if they're illegitimate, but still a son to the to, to the king, man, you talk about you talk about fodder for some big problems. So Sarah fears for Isaac's life. In a moment, we're going to see that when Abraham has some problems with her reaction, that that God says, "No, no, no. Listen, you need to you need to listen to Sarah on this thing." Uh, let me just give you an example about how this can work out. Uh, practically, I mean, about five generations up from me, maybe it's six generations up, there was, there was a wealthy land 
landowner um, in North Alabama that was, it was my, that I'm, it's my kin, kin uh, up, up from me. And there was one, there was one heir. And this heir had, had an, had an affair, at least if not multiple affairs, had multiple illegitimate children. Later on, he married who the family wanted him to marry and had a legitimate daughter. He and his wife eventually died, leaving only the, a young girl as the le- legitimate heir and older siblings that were already married to raise her. And what happened was these, these siblings, they would bribe her to sign over land and valuables for toys, for dolls. She had no idea. She had no idea, but she was the... She was, and they were the, her guardians, you know? But it still took her signature and, on things, and she signed away almost all the wealth to these siblings. And you know, what's amazing, and as we look at this, it didn't have to be this way. I mean, Ishmael didn't have to have this attitude. You look later at, at Joseph and his brothers. and he, jo- Listen, Joseph, I mean, he wasn't innocent either. But... Uh, but boy, you talk about sibling rivalry. It didn't have to be that way. But it was there. It was in this story as well. Um, and a question to ask, we, we're always asking and prodding one another, how does the gospel speak into our situation? How does the gospel inform us? And so you guys, maybe if you're, you're, you're in the middle of the difficulty of a blended family, you know, you got, you got married, maybe you'd been divorced, maybe you're widowed, or maybe you'd never been married and ended up marrying a husband or wife that already had kids, and, and then you have your own children, you've got a blended family. You know, it's, it's important that, the, that grace is at the center of, of that marriage and of, of that family. And, and, and that the way the gospel speaks into blended families is to know that we're all adopted by God. Every one of us. And we're on equal footing as loved children by the Creator of the universe. And within our blended family... Our brother, Jesus, was the one who sacrificed himself. He didn't, he didn't wait for us to serve him. He served us. And we weren't even born. But he served us. And he sacrificed. And, and our dad was the one who's the judge and the king over everything. And he gave us mercy. He gave us adoption. That, those, that speaks into blended family. Of the need for mercy and the need for sacrifice to be made for one another and to see, you know what, when you, whether, you're, whether it's, it's my stepson or my half-brother or we adopted this, this boy or this girl to say, look, you know what, tell you what, the way God looks at it is adoption is like over everything anyway. <laughs> it's far better. I choose you all. Some of you are blood, some of you by marriage, some of you maybe by adoption, my kids. You're all my kids. You're all my kids. Practical steps for you is just make sure that you make sure you deal with problems. Just make sure you, I mean confront them, and when you see it, man, go go in, push into it. Don't show favoritism. What what I've seen over and over is where the the mom the mom over her kids she's just a just a little bit a little bit more focused on making sure that they're taken care of and they're protected and kind of got an eye out for those other, those other kids. 
be careful the way you treat my son, my daughter. Don't do that. Don't do that. God was good enough that he brought us into his family. The way he treats us is the way we need to treat all of our children. Mom and dad, something vital. And, and you know, I, I, think, I think blended, family, blended families, um, though, though it's, not, it's not the ideal, but the ideal was before the fall. Blended families can bring the gospel. It can be a wonderful example of grace, of coming in and just saying, look at what God can do. But mom and dad, you better pray together. You better not de-edify one another in front of your kids, or you will just be handing them a pistol to shoot at the other spou- at your spouse. And you better stick together and be on the same page when it comes to casting vision to your kids and disciplining your kids. You go away. It's, and and by, by the way, it's not that you don't argue. It's, it's not that you don't argue in front of your kids. It's important, to, it's important for kids to see their parents be able to disagree. But you better not fight in front of your kids. You better not fight verbally, emotionally, physically. You, if you need to dis, disagree and it's going to get heated a little bit, you know, I mean, you just don't, don't do that in front of the kids. You need, you need to be together. Go away and pray and work on it. It's not, it's not I'm not just saying, well, now go, that's where you start slugging behind the doors. No, no. But go and pray and say, God, you're bigger than this. Grace is bigger than this. And then come for your kids and say, hey, here's where we are. It's mom and dad. Stick together. Verse 11, and the thing that, very, that was very displeasing to Abraham on account of, this thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son, but God said to Abraham, do not be displeased because of your boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is of your offspring. You guys, a- Abraham loved Ishmael. He loved him. It was his son. his flesh and blood. It was the only manifestation for all those years of the promise of God. And he kept going back to God just saying, God, please let it be Ishmael. Please just, it's, it's okay, God. Ishmael can be the one. And God's like, he's not the one. He's not the one. He kept asking, please. Please, God. But you know what? Deep inside, Abraham knew. He knew. He saw his son. I mean, he was investing in him, but he saw this rebellious young man growing, rejecting his ways and rejecting the ways of his God. Talk about something that pains a parent. When a young man, young woman, or even an adult son or daughter, when they rebel and when they, they walk away from Jesus or just they refuse, refuse Jesus and the way that you, you teach... Um, Paul clarifies things just in case you want to know a bigger picture of, of Ishmael. Galatians 4, starting in verse 28, says, um, now, you, now you who are brothers like Isaac are children of promise. Talking about Christians. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Now that right there is talking about he who was born according to the flesh. That's Ishmael. It says, I mean, the way Paul puts it, he persecuted Isaac. He persecuted. This is not just innocent laughter. He persecuted his brother. 
But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let's keep going. Verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And uh, this, is, uh, this is the tough part. Uh, is, but but here's, here's the thing. And first of all, bread is not, it doesn't mean that it just was, it was just a loaf of bread. Bread, you know, it's kind of like well, you can't live on bread alone. You, can't, you, know, you just can't live off of just food alone. It was, it was a, a broader term that it could have just been bread or it could have been food. Most likely, I mean, he gave, gave them as much food and water as they could carry is what he would have done. As much as they could have, could have taken off. And he gave it to her. The, the text, the way the Eng, some of the English translations put it, sounds like he, he put it on her shoulder as well as then put, put uh, Ishmael on the other side of her shoulder. That's not what, he's, he's not, we're not, we don't have too high, no chicken fights going on here. Um, she was, she just took her son, took, took the stuff, went into the wilderness. This is not a desert like a Sahara desert, but there's elements there in this, in this area of the world. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a wilderness and there's, the vegetation's sparse and the water, the water is sparse as, as well. And again, it's kind of like, well, Abraham, Abraham, what, what are you, what are you thinking? Then it's like, no, 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 wait, God, what are you thinking? You know, it's like, he's listening to God here. It's like, how could, you know, it's like, okay, parts of this I can see is being right and just, but others I'm like, ah, what's going on here? What, but here's, here's, here's part of the point that you need to know. Hagar was a slave woman. She was not free. She was owned by Sarah. Though she was a concubine too, and, and had some, a lot of privileges as a result of being a concubine to Abraham, but she was still a slave woman indentured. Um, it's like everything relied upon Ishmael. If Ishmael died, I mean, you know, she'd be out. She'd be out. You know, there'd be nothing, nothing else for her. Guys, what originally looked to me as an act of cruelty was actually an act of freedom. Now, there were, there were risks that were there. It's kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you have to release. You, you have to allow them to go out on their own. But, at the same time, this was a freeing of Hagar that, that Abraham gave to where it was like, now, legally, you are no longer a slave woman. You are now free. And so there's, in the midst of something that was very difficult for them, and even for Abraham, there was also a beautiful thing in the freedom of Hagar that took place, took place here. Sent them away. And again, don't, don't just think about this, just, that this is a, a young, that this is a young boy, that this is a toddler. I mean, guys, Ishmael was raised by one of the greatest leaders in all of history, Abraham. People all over. I mean, there were thousands and thousands that followed him and followed his leadership. And he'd had, he'd had all these years to invest in his son. I mean, and it's not just... I mean, this is not just, you know, living up in Trump Tower uh, where, where everybody serves you as well, although they would have been taken care of, but they were nomadic. They lived in the wilderness. They lived out there and they'd go to fertile places, you know, to go. But I mean, but they understood 
He understood how it was to live in, in the land. And so this was, a, this was a young man that was prepared for this as well. And, and again, this is a, a young man that his dad, Abraham, would have taught him how to lead other men and how to make decisions, which we see later on helps him out in the tribes that came after him. Ishmael was big enough. He could take care of his mother. He could have taken care of her. Now, I just need to take a moment and just I want to apply this a little bit to what happens sometimes with adult children. Some of you guys, y'all are uh, you're you're at the place where your kids are are teenagers or above. They're adults maybe already, and maybe in the house or out of the house. And it is it's important to know that there are times in which there's a time in which you have to send your children out. It is God's plan. There are times in which we have to say, I will no longer provide for you. I will no longer protect you because if I continue to provide for you, if I continue to protect you, I am hurting you. I'm enabling you. And especially when that's the case, usually there's all kinds of destruction they're bringing to themselves because they're so weak. And you've got to push them out of the nest. You have to. Some, some of you, maybe even here or listening to this, there may be an adult son or a daughter that you need to say, it's over. It's over. I, I, I've, I'm, I'm hurting you every day that I continue to provide for you, protect you, pay your bills, bail you out of jail, whatever it is. I, mean, you, I, I hear the stories all the time. And I'm like, get them out of your house. They're going to kill themselves and they're going to kill you. They're going to drag you under. And it's not your responsibility. You need to let them be a man. Or need to let them be a woman. Some of y'all need to heed that and take some action steps. Um, let me just finalize this. Take a, take a few more minutes. Um, when the water in the skin was gone, not you know what? No, I'm gonna. Uh, Ishmael starts us out next week, and so I'm gonna. I'll, I'll, I'll pull us. I'll pull us from that point, verse 15, and we'll go on. We'll we'll, we'll take a look at Ishmael and the, uh, the rest of him being sent out, and then what took place to Muhammad, uh, how Islam was formed, um, and, and what's, what's been going on between the Arabs and the Jews um, over the last, <laughs> the last uh, centuries and, and millennia. Um, one of the things that Ishmael did was he... he he rejected God. He rejected his dad's God. And, and maybe it's because he wasn't the golden child. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's because things just weren't going his way. I, I, you know, who knows? But he rejected his dad's God. And, and here, guys, I just challenge you. Don't be Ishmael. We, we, it's like we as Americans, we're so inundated with church and church culture, and religion, People that are in church that, man, they're not even saved. They're not even, they're not even born again. They think they are. They think they're Christians. But they're not. Their heart's never been changed. They, they, their hearts are really just upon themselves and not upon Jesus. They've never come to a place of full repentance. They're rejecting Jesus even in the midst of culture that affirms Him. That, Ishmael was growing up 
his father worshipped and preached, he rejected. If you're Ishmael, you, you, need, you need to switch your sonship. You need to surrender. Listen to the voice of the Spirit right now and say, God, I don't want to be Ishmael anymore. I surrender. I want to be, I want to be according to Isaac. Um, finally, uh, just know this. Man, God is, he is a God of beautiful, beautiful redemption. No matter what you've done. I mean, just read the Bible. Read Genesis. Look at these stories. They're idiots like you and me. Screwing up all over the place. And God is faithful to His promise. Some of y'all, y'all just need to say, God, I believe that You've redeemed me. You Christians. And I believe that You can take even those scars and you can make them a pointer finger that point to how great you are.